Ain't gonna burn ourselves out no more. Ain't gonna burn ourselves out no more. Got each other on our side, plus all the folks at Fried the Burnout Podcast with Kate Donovan. Hello, Fried fans, and welcome to Season 4 of Fried, the Burnout Podcast. I'm your host, Kate Donovan, and my mission with Fried is to hashtag end burnout culture. On this pod, we end burnout culture by sharing stories of people who have been through it all, sharing expert tips from the best in the burnout field, sharing hashtag straight from Kate episodes with my own expertise and some fun research now that I'm a student again, plus sharing actionable steps to help you end burnout starting today. If you're feeling burnt out right now and you need personalized guidance, you can book a free breakthrough burnout call with me. You'll find the link bit.ly backslash call Kate in the show notes. Also, if you love fried and want to be part of our community, we'd love to have you. Just head over to Facebook and type in fried the burnout podcast discussion and click to join our group. It's a place for continued healing, deeper conversations and connections with people who just get it. And now, for this week's episode. All right, Fried fans, this is going to be a good one and one that I have waited for for quite some time. I'm so excited this week to bring you Dr. Brooke Kalanick, who is a licensed naturopathic doctor and women's hormone expert. She is the co-author of Hangry, Five Simple Steps to Balance Your Hormones and Restore Your Joy, and the host of the popular podcast, The Dr. Brooke Show. You might have heard our episode that we did together there. That was so much fun. Dr. Brooke specializes in PCOS, menopause, thyroid conditions, autoimmunity, and various women's hormone issues. She helps her patients get to the root cause of their hormonal imbalances and get back to feeling better with targeted diet and lifestyle habits. She teaches women how to understand their own hormone talk so they can finally work with their bodies, metabolism, and hormones instead of being in a constant fight with themselves. She lives in New York City, and when she's not busy in her practice or as a mother and wife, you can find her on hashtag mantra walk or listen weights. Dr. Brooke, welcome to the show. Finally, thanks for still having me. We're I'm so, I'm so excited, <laughs> but I'm still, I've been excited the whole time. Yes. I had a lot of kids getting sick and all it just was, but it, it always works out for the best. This will be our, our perfect conversation. Exactly. So here we are in the right time in the right place yes. for the right conversation. So your burnout story. <laughs> Which one? Yeah, just um, choose just any of them, really. <laughs> yes. Um, as we were saying off air, I feel like I have recently found myself there um, again in a very different way. But my biggest story that I would probably say was my biggest crash and had the biggest, you know, fallout for my health and my hormones and my life in so many ways was after, well, during writing my first book. So when I was, I was a co-author on a book that was all about fat loss. So I, it was very funny that I found myself in a situation where I was living out all of my biggest insecurities as like putting myself, I went from a complete nobody to writing this book with someone who had a really good size platform. And it went from, so here I am now trying to have a conversation about hormones, be taken seriously as a doctor, but I'm not a real doctor. I'm an naturopathic doctor. So there's all that I'm not smart enough stuff coming up and don't have all the right credentials, Mm -hmm. but the biggest, and that I could get around because I knew my stuff and I knew what I was talking about. And I felt really confident about the material I was putting into the book 
but this was a fat loss book. And so I entered into a really dysfunctional diet and exercise cycle where I, you know, it didn't matter what progress I was getting. It was never, ever going to be enough. And it didn't matter what the number on the scale said or how much smaller my pants were. It just, it was really almost like an out-of-body experience watching this thing happen. And I didn't enjoy any of it. I didn't enjoy my increased success. I didn't enjoy the fact that I was in really good shape. I was utterly emotionally a mess and really miserable. Probably worse than that though. I was di over, over dieting, over exercising. And so my cycle that I had worked so hard to regulate, cause I do have PCOS. And by this point in my life, I was, um, in my early thirties and I had totally got my PCOS into a really great place. And I had really figured out how I needed to eat and exercise to manage that. And there goes my cycle. So now I'm not sleeping. I'm not getting a period anymore. My relationship is in just utter shambles and it culminated first with an injury. So I, I tore a hamstring and I couldn't, I couldn't exercise. I could barely walk to my office. I was living on 23rd street in Manhattan and had to walk you know, a mile to my office, couldn't quite do it. Um, so that was the end of the exercise. So that put me into even more of a bit of a tailspin. And right around the time when I was feeling like things are completely falling apart, I got a really bad Amazon review and it didn't have anything to do with um, what I said in the book about this is how insulin works or here's how you need to manage your estrogen, et cetera. Someone called me fat. So someone just laid into the whole thing. Um, it was so mean. And of course, you know, what I did that day was I tried to go back to the gym, right? <laughs> that was, that's what you should do when you're feeling bad. And someone calls you out on this is you should have what I call a punishment workout. So that all again, injured, the worst did happen. The thing I was the most afraid of happened. Um, and again, being injured, having that, the worst thing happen, I just sort of stop dead in my tracks. And I was like, okay, so um, everything I tried to do to prevent this didn't work. And now I'm just in this, you know, I can't sleep. Um, I'm injured. My period's gone. My hormones are in a mess. My life's a mess just from like chasing something or running from something probably more accurately. Um, and everything worked out. Um, I recovered. It changed like the trajectory of my business. And I was less in the business of trying to be someone I'm not and much more in a place of this is, you know, I'm not trying to hide anything or be something I'm not. So in a lot of good came out of it, but that was a really, really low point for someone who should have known better, right? I was a hormone expert and I completely destroyed my hormones. Yeah. The someone who should have known better is a, is a common theme on the show. And another common theme that I'm hearing come through is I felt the shittiest when I was at the height of my success. Yes. And Absolutely. that is such a hard thing for people to wrap their heads around and such a space of shame and guilt for the people that are yeah. there. It's like, well, how could, you know, because I, I once had a friend tell me when I was in that space, like, you have everything that everybody wants. That exact sentence, you have everything that everybody wants. And I was yeah. like, well, smells like poop. Up yeah, there. it doesn't feel very good. <laughs> so I'm not sure uh -huh. this is a great idea. So but before we dive deeper into those things, can you take a second? I mean, I'm very aware of what polycystic ovarian syndrome is, but some people listening to the podcast were saying PCOS and they're like, you have what? So right. can you explain that a little bit? Yes. It's a very common endocrine disorder. I think it's one in eight women is the current stat. It doesn't always get diagnosed. Mine got caught pretty early in my teenage years. So 
it, what it characteristics of it are some there's some different body types, but for the most part you're having difficulty with ovulation. Uh, it may be more of a stress based system and it may be more of an insulin uh, blood sugar based um, root cause So both of those can, things can happen or one can be more predominant than the other. But a lot of times there's some sort of ovulatory dysfunction there's usually some insulin resistance and some blood sugar problems. There's often excess androgens and so testosterone and DHEA so we get the breakouts the hair growth the worsening of the blood sugar issues and the, those hormones also can hinder ovulation and it can be you know a really frustrating thing if you're trying to have a baby or trying to keep your just your cycle going you know having a cycle gives us our hormones so it's not the only reason is not just for fertility um so it, you know it's for some women like me it got caught in high school i had some irregular periods and but for other women they don't see it until something else goes on in their health or they are trying to get pregnant so a lot of times sometimes there's cysts on the ovaries which is why it gets that name, but that's not always um, the case. And other things can cause that too. So it's a syndrome. So it's sort of like you have certain criteria on a list, um, but it is quite common. And some women, you know, don't struggle with it too much, but some of us do. And for me, I have some of the classic issues with the insulin resistance and the blood sugar stuff and the difficulty losing weight, but um, I'm very sensitive to stress as, as well. So I feel like I have kind of a double-edged sword and perhaps I have brought much of that on um, myself and maybe that wouldn't be just part of my PCOS picture um, but it certainly has been a part of my my hormone troubles for sure and it does change your resilience levels when your body has more things to do than just deal with your stress and function as like quote unquote normally as as a fully healthy functioning body would function yeah, you know, blood sugar regulation is a huge piece of your resilience and your hormone balance, um, as is oxidative stress. And when it comes down to like each individual cell, and is it going to be able to turn that lunch you ate into any food? Oxidative stress is a big part of that. Inflammation is a big part. And all of those things are worse when you have um, PCOS as well, if you're not ovulating properly, your estrogen, your progesterone can be lower than normal. And those female hormones really, really impact your sensitivity to stress, especially progesterone, your mood, estrogen has a big correlation with um, serotonin. Uh, progesterone has a big relationship with GABA that helps you sleep and calm down. So when those female hormones are off, your whole endocrine system can be um, impacted a, a little bit worse. And so many things go into our stress resiliency, but all of those things um, play directly into stress resiliency. And those are oftentimes worse. They can be worse for other reasons too, but women yeah. with PCOS tend to have all those issues. Yeah. And I think it's important to say right now that PCOS is the thing that came up because this is part of your story, but I want people out there right now who have any type of diagnosis, whatever it happens to be, and to just take a moment and recognize that your stress resilience, your body's ability to respond correctly to stressful situations is impacted when your body has another thing to do to keep you healthy because of another diagnosis. Yeah. So just take a moment to give, cut yourself a little bit of slack, <clears throat> right? Give yourself a, a little bit of room around that. If you're dealing with something else, stress will be more sensitive to you. It will be more impactful on your body. And that's unfortunately just the way it is. But was PCOS mm -hmm. and sort of trying to regulate your blood sugar and your cycles and all that, is that what got you into naturopathy? Yeah, yeah. I was okay. um, um, in conventional medicine before I was a pharmacist and um, none of those options were working for me. I didn't do well on the pill. I, you know, didn't do well on some, and... there, yeah, so there's, there's limit, 
it's interesting. So PCOS is a condition I specialize in now. Of course, there's limited options for that in conventional yeah. medicine. And for a lot of women, they do okay. But for a lot of women, they're really not the answer. They make it worse. They're definitely, metformin can be useful in getting a means to an end. But like the pill is one of those tools that we all get when we have PCOS or any female hormone issue yeah. for the most part, that it doesn't necessarily fix any of the underlying causes. And right. you, you mentioned something that, you know, when you have some sort of other diagnosis, you know, then there's, like you said, there's more stuff for your body to get back to like homeostasis is there's more stuff going on. And I think with the wellness world and the sound bites on social media and the way functional medicine, which is what I do, the way it's talked about is we're always after the root cause, right? Going after the root cause, which in theory is great. But if you're in a place where you're burnout, you've gone through all this stuff, you know, time, time has gone on, you've ignored symptoms for a long time, you don't have one root cause, your digestion's a mess, so your nutrients are a mess, you've probably got some really key nutrients are off, you've got inflammation, oxidative stress, you might have tripped an autoimmune thyroid condition, now you've got all, you know, a gut infection, there's so many things, and I think it's, it's, we've done a disservice to women, especially when you come in and you're like, I'm going to get to your one root cause. And then we find one thing and we work on it. And they're like, well, I'm not totally better yet. And it's really more like, I would say it's like taking you in your favorite sweaters and you've got, you're pulling on a thread on it. Like it's going to take a lot to undo the whole web and to pull it all apart. But most of us don't turn around and get the answer when we get the first sign that something's off, whether it's a symptom or, you know, that nudge that like things aren't going, we have work to do, right? We keep going. This, you guys can't see me, but I just spent that whole period of time celebrating everything that Dr. Brooke was saying, because this is something that makes me feel wild in the wellness community, especially when it comes to burnout. Stop talking to me about root causes. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. There's 87 root causes to your burnout, probably. Mm -hmm. Like, There's so many things that have to happen in order for this to be the result. And I find that that's true for a lot of different things. And in acupuncture, you know, with acupuncture, when we create a diagnosis, it's usually multi-layered. We're like, you know, liver cheese stagnation with kidney indeficiency and spleen yang deficiency. Like there's, we're not even saying one thing. We're saying three different things all at the same time. We're talking about systems. We're talking about your whole body. We're not talking about one trauma that you had when you were three or one you know, instance of food poisoning you had when you were seven. Like, There's a lot of things that go into this. So that just made me so happy. <laughs> yep. Good. And it's, you know, you can't undo every root cause, right? If you're living in an apartment or a home with mold in it, okay, there's a root cause. We might be able to clean that up or get you out of the environment. But what if one of your issues was, like you said, childhood trauma or a pregnancy? Like sometimes we can't necessarily go back and and undo those. So I do think it's just, it's unfortunate marketing that has been sold to us as women. It's like, well, that's the new thing, right? For women is one more thing to chase and to do is to, now I got to get to the root cause of my hormone issues and my health issues. And when I get that figured out, then everything's going to be okay. Right. Yeah. And I made that mistake myself so many times. Like, I just got to figure this one bit out and then the rest, like, no, no, honey, no, honey. It just keeps (laughs) going often, which can be frustrating but at the yeah. same time is the more realistic view of, of what we're going through. So right yeah. now in your practice, are you, you're working fully online? Yeah, I've actually been 
fully virtual since I had my last baby and she's turned seven. So, um, yeah, so it was kind of nice for me come craziness of pandemic in 2020. I was already geared up for that. Perfect. (laughs) And that was just sort of a fluke. Um, and, but it is, it's funny because it's one of those things I had to really, um, which is one of the things that adds to our stress and our overwhelm is feeling like things have to be a certain way. And how is this going to look? And for me to give up a brick and mortar practice to talk on the phone with people or talk over at the time it was Skype. We didn't have Zoom when I started this. It felt really unprofessional. It felt like I was less important. Um, Mm -hmm. It didn't feel as legit. And I really had to uh, get my head around that because what I wanted so much more was time, freedom, being able to like free up just that commute time from Brooklyn to the city um, to walk my kid to school or, you know, get another feeding in when I had a tiny little one. but I think that just constant pressure, um, and then it goes on in, your, in the background too. Like on one hand, like you said, I had everything I wanted. I had everything that I wanted. I had the freedom and I had enough success in my work and enough new people coming in that I could do it the way that I wanted to do it. But there was this whole stress around, well, this doesn't look right. What are people going to think? And some people do. Some people are like, well, I don't, I, that doesn't work for me. I want to see someone one-on-one and I had to be, or face-to-face. And I had to, of course, be able to get my head around the fact that for some people, this is not going to work, but for me, it, it gives me a lot of freedom. Pride fam, I tell you in nearly every episode that step one of your burnout recovery is blood work. And I know that a lot of you avoid it because it's a pain and because your doctor has told you that everything is quote unquote fine. And they refuse to test all the things that you think you need. What if I told you that you could test what you want, when you want, from your home with just a couple of drops of blood? Cyfox Health allows you to do just that. You can buy tests as one-offs or join a membership. Either way, you can test and track your results to help you make decisions about your burnout recovery journey. Get 10% off any membership, subscription, or one-time test kit right now. Go to scifoxhealth.com forward slash fried for your discount. That's S-I-P-H-O-X health.com forward slash fried. Yeah. And so we're going to go back into the sort of that, that burnout story where you're at the top of your success, your hamstring tears. Somebody says nasty things about you online. You're crashing. What, what happened next? Um, so I was sort of physically crashing, um, in many ways. Right. Um, and that's when I realized my relationship was in trouble. I think like so many of those things had to happen and hit me in the face kind of to get me to stop and be like, Oh, wait, there's more wrong here. (laughs) There's a lot going wrong here. Um, and I, I was really lucky in many ways during that. I mean, I had a lot of resources and colleagues. I mean, I knew what I needed to do. I knew I needed to like back way, way down. And I knew that that girl who (laughs) called me fat on the internet, um, you know, again, like there's some real value in facing your biggest fear and then having to look at like, why on earth was that my biggest fear, right? Like what is, 
that is such a deep seated thing from childhood for my mother um, for, and then of course I get into the stupid fitness world. Like, I mean, it really, I found my problem. I just ran towards it. I could have chosen to do many other things. And I really did put myself in a situation where I had to, you know, face it. And I think telling that story, anyone could listen and be like, well, you, you look fine. You know, like you don't have anything to like, but it, it didn't matter because every, what and I realized really quickly when I read that as painful as it was and as nasty and hurtful of it was as it was it was child's play compared to the stuff I said to myself in my own head so you know what I mean it was like yes she was mean but the things I've said since I read it have already been worse and that's just been in the last few minutes and that initial like pull to be like well okay so I've got this whole body image issue I gotta go to the gym it really was an opportunity to stop and look at all that. And, you know, yeah, she was mean, but again, the bigger work is not to track her down. And so many people like came to my rescue and they defended me and stuff. And I was like, wow, the, but the real problem here is that it even phased me for some, I mean, yes, I'm human. It could phase you, yeah, but it really, again, it was one of my biggest fears. So that I think um, there was a lot of opportunity in there to, for me to look at a lot of things. And one of them was, I'm not really sure how I became so career focused and obsessed, but I, you know, completely neglecting my, um, now my husband was my boyfriend at the time, but, you know, neglecting that relationship, taking my stress out on him. Like there was a lot going on there for me. And it was a really, and probably the worst realization of, of all of it was I was this stressed out person who was chasing stuff outside of herself, um, you know, not being the kind of woman I wanted to be in my relationships, being driven by this insecurity of how I looked. And then I was like, oh crap, that's my mom. Like the person, (laughs) the thing I tried so hard not to be in like, well, not dealing with it, not embracing it, not doing more therapy, not addressing some of the things. And my path looked very different. Like I had this big public career thing and she was, you know, a single mom working two jobs, but the kind of manifestation of it was very similar. And that was um, not what I wanted to see. Yeah. So when you say you were neglecting your relationship and sort of pouring your stress onto him, can you give us some concrete examples of how you were doing oh, that? Gosh, it's so funny. It's so long ago now. This was like, let's see. What do you remember ten. about it? Yeah. Um, well, part of it was with all the, some of it was the stress, like the, you know, again, this like really putting myself into this world that I was not entirely felt, you know, I wasn't a fitness model. I wasn't a personal trainer. I was a, a doctor and um, a woman with some hormone issues. Like I'd never looked that part. Um, so there was some of that, like, that it did end up end up happening. But I think the other thing is I was just in such sympathetic overdrive because I wasn't eating enough and I was mm-hmm. way over exercising. I was exercising at least twice a day. It was just bonkers. I mean, I look back and it's just, I would never so were do you that now. Me- were you mean? Yeah. So I think when you're in that like sympathetic overdrive, like you have no fuse to handle anything. Someone leaves their socks out and you're, you know, and then also like you're, your resiliency is so low. There's nothing left. So any little like blip for you, like the part of it was, I wasn't sleeping at all because I would, you know, I'd fall asleep for a couple hours and I just had so much adrenaline from not eating, like being scared to sit next to a carbohydrate. I was just really, really in this really high cortisol, really sympathetic overdrive. And so, I mean, I just, my fuse was, I was cranky. Yeah. I was really, um, and then so 
overwhelmed and unhappy and wondering why he wasn't fixing that for me. Right. He was just Ooh. making it worse. Right. You know, he was just annoying me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, Did so he, he complain? Sort of no. So this is where two people's neuroses that have found each other a long time ago. I'm out talking, over communicating, over sharing, making it Joe's problem. And he's completely walled off, yeah. not talking at all. Yeah. Um, so, sympathetic responses freeze. Absolutely. So, um, yeah. So shortly after this, we got into therapy and had a baby and got married. <laughs> so it was okay, but it was a really, it was a um, big flashlight on both of our issues. And I think that that's true of a lot of relationships. You kind yeah. of find what you both tolerate and what's often kind of the opposite. Obviously there's things in common, but he was in that way, the best and the worst person for me, right? Because he allowed me to get away with some bad behavior. Yeah, I think what's it, what's the most important thing about this, and the reason I asked you for examples is because sometimes we don't realize how terrible we're being to the people around us because we feel so terrible within ourselves and we know we're not acting the way that we'd like to like you said I wasn't being the woman I wanted to be like we know we're not acting the right way but there's so many other things wrong in our lives that it doesn't seem significant that we are treating our partners and our children poorly it just feels like a normal natural side effect of the fact that everyone's taking advantage of you and the world doesn't care about you enough and you're not getting enough support and so the the reason I, I asked for specifics is so that people that are listening can recognize their own behavior yeah and it was also really singularly focused so mm. when I probably should have noticed his unhappiness and it didn't even occur to me because I was right. so like I felt so overwhelmed by the thing that I had taken on um and it wasn't just like the that all of a sudden like out in the public thing as well but like I I signed on to a project that was terrible like this book mm. that was it was terrible um and so now it's like now my name's on it luckily my co-author thought I was wonderful so he's like yeah let's just do that so that just meant like me rewriting his whole book for like yeah. no money <laughs> and so it was a lot more work than I had signed on for too so I was utterly overwhelmed in every way and was completely clueless to how you know and that is a real gift of motherhood that I have now I am so aware of how my emotions affect everyone in my family. And I, I just, I don't think I had any, I didn't have the, I guess, skill set to uh, be more aware of that or just the awareness. I don't think I also, again, I did not see some of those things because I saw my, I had an idea of myself that was different than how I was actually being. And again, with the singular focus like that, it just, everything was about that. And so in my mind, everything should be about that for everybody in my life. And that wasn't the case. They had their life too. What a shocker. Yeah, I know. Hard lesson. <laughs> and what do you think? So you, you guys went to therapy mm -hmm. and then what happened? Um, well, in your like process of sort of getting yourself out of this was it, was therapy enough? Where, where's... No, I mean, and I think those, those core personality things and some of those, like where I come from as, as a child and where Joe came from as a child, they're still with us. I just, yeah. we have language to talk about them now. It's definitely obviously better. That was a long time ago. Um, but that was a big thing. Me having to take much more responsibility for what my boundaries, maybe is not the right word, but it may be threshold for what mm -hmm. I can 
could take on. And when I did my next book, it was still very stressful um, in a lot of ways, but I definitely had a much better sense of like when things are going off the rails. And after then, I think um, by the time I got to do the second book, it was probably six or seven years later. And I had a, a much different sense of like, this is what I'm willing to give to any project, uh, whether it's a Public, major published book or or anything. Um, and I also had by that point had two children. And so I was also in a place where, and I think hopefully this is a tool that people can take away is that um, for me, I had certain values going into like that first experience and they were, you know, more recognition, more money, more success, all of these things. And I very much have different goals now, you know, and obviously being a mother that was, something that changed like what's and I wasn't willing to be the kind of person I was with Joe the first time with my whole family as it was you know as it was different so there was a I think a place for me to rein myself in better um it you know still you've written a book it's still incredibly stressful um something else I think I've I just Sarah and I were, Sarah Fergosa and I wrote the book together, and I think we had both come through burnout and found ourselves in a place where we wanted to help other women with that. So I think we really were very committed to being authentic in that book. We were not going to write a book about here's the answers when we haven't been living from that place. So I think that was another thing we had put on a lot before we went there to, to do that book. So we were able to handle it much better. And that's one thing if you follow me at all, I'm pretty honest about, um, I don't really know. I think that one experience of feeling like I was hiding and got called out, you know, cause I was like, no, I've got it all figured out. And it's like, oh no, wait, I'm totally insecure about this big thing. Um, I think <laughs> I learned like, that lesson of, yeah, it's better to just share my pain and my experience and hope that, uh, less people will think I'm perfect and more people will feel like, oh, she understands me. Yeah. <laughs> In the end, yeah. that was much more of a core value that, that dr drives me now. And so what are the, hmm, what I'm thinking about now is this sort of like Chinese medicine idea of, of macro and micro, like of, so in Chinese medicine, we have the points all over the body and you can treat the liver using the foot, whatever. And you can also use the ear to treat the entire body because the ear is a microcosm of the macrocosm of the body, but the body is a microcosm of the macrocosm of the universe, right? So we have all these sort of various layers. And what I'm, what I'm thinking about that is I'm thinking your body's ability to manage its own homeostasis is a microcosm of your life, your, your personality's ability to manage your stressful life. Yeah. So uh, how, what kind of stress management things help you on a micro level and what kind of things help you on a macro level? Yeah. So I think what I was just saying about the core values, I never had that before. Mm -hmm. I just did what I was supposed to be doing. And I don't think most of us have take the time to, you know, really think about like, well, what actually matters the most to me? And it, it's often not going to be like the car or the house or the whatever. It's like, you know, and I think when you come, things are stressful because you care about them right? For better or for worse, whether it's being driven by an insecurity or like you actually love your child or your husband, like, um, or your family, you wouldn't be stressed out if you didn't care. So like, I think that's the first thing to recognize is like, it's okay that you're stressed. Now, how are we going to, you know, how are you going to deal with it? And you always have these choices all day, right? Am I going to stay up 
late and watch TV? Or am I going to go to bed early so that my health is better or my creativity is better? And um, am I going to eat this thing that I know works really well for my hormones? Or am I going to eat this thing? Or am I going to drink this thing or do that thing or exercise in a way that helps me exercise in a way that wrecks me, um, set a boundary, not set a boundary. I think that if you always, you know, you constantly come up against those little like choice moments, right? Like, what do I, what do I do in this? And it's stressful and overwhelming oftentimes when we don't, we make a decision from that more hurt, more dysfunctional place, right? Because the if you're just coming from those that I don't want to say like damage because I don't think it's that. I think it's just like when you're more of that um, unexamined, and yes, yeah, the the shadowy cobwebby corners of our yeah. mind that we yeah. we don't really examine, um, but they're there and they drive so many choices if we're not being really intentional and conscious about it. So I think that's a big thing that's changed for me in the last ten years is sitting down and knowing what those things are, because when I'm in a stressful situation, it's easy. It takes the heat off that because ultimately I know there might feel like there's a choice here, but there's really only the one choice that ultimately supports the things that matter most. And they might change, you know, they might change over time. I mean, there was certainly a time when like all I cared about was writing a New York times bestseller. And like, that's, that would be really nice. It is not one of my core values, you know, like that would be lovely, but doesn't drive my choices every day. So I think that's an important one. I take some time and like, write out what nobody's looking, no one's going to judge you for it. Like what really matters to you? I think that makes some of the stressful things in the day harder or, or easier. Um, I think stress management's really individual. You know, there's things that, you know, Kate, you might do that. I might be like, that just makes me feel more anxious or less settled, <laughs> Totally. Um, you know, but, and there might same, same things, vice versa. So trying a lot of stress management skills. I mean, there's no shortage of information right now on how to manage your stress. So try different things and see what works for you. I think that's a really important thing too. And have a couple things you can go to. And we talked about this in my book, Hangry, we had 12 of those tools. And Sarah is very different than me. She's much more like earth mama. She's going to go outside and do grounding. I'm like, I live in New York City. I'm not walking outside barefoot. Like that doesn't doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever. I'm going to walk into the concrete. Like I'm not going to feel grounded. Um, And I'm not going to walk 20 minutes to a park to do that. Right. So I need a different strategy. So again, I think if you, you need to know what works for you in those, in those moments, stressors, again, going back to your core values might be one of them, but having something tangible, that's not meditation, right? When you're really waked out, you're. So I have a question. Yes. So first. I will link to a core values exercise for you guys. So if you're listening and you're like, I don't know how to figure out what my values are, don't worry. Well, we got you covered. We'll we'll do that. That's fine. That's easy. Um, But my question is, how do you recommend people recognize whether or not a stress management technique is helpful for them? So what are the either physical or mental sensations or what is the you know, how do you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like I tried this technique. I did it twice. I don't know. Like, how do you know? Yeah. I think, well, what I think people think of with stress is that you've got this one stress, stress response where it's fight or flight and you're just wigged out. Right. So, and that's one stress response. So if you are like feeling really anxious, you feel like your cortisol is like through the roof, you can't focus your, your heart rates up, your breathing's up, your appetite's low, like you're, you know that you're in this fight or flight stress response. What you want to do is utilize those stress hormones. They call it completing the stress cycle. You need to get through that. So that's when like a little movement might be helpful, not a hard workout, but probably just like moving, breathing. Like if you want to trigger that other side of your nervous system, that parasympathetic side, you're going to want to do those deep breaths, like the triggering your vagus nerve with that, like, um, 
four counts in, eight to 10 out, you know, there's, that's when meditation might be good or a mindfulness practice of which there are many, but when you're up, you kind of want to trigger that other side, but there's this other side of your stress response that we forget. So there's, they call it fight, flight, and freeze. And you mentioned it earlier. And that's sort of discussed most of the time is just all the same thing, fight, flight, and freeze, but freeze is the whole other thing. That is the parasympathetic side. So if you're in that, I'm overwhelmed, I can't put one foot in front of the other, I can't make a decision, I can't return the email, I can't, I feel just stuck, trapped, that's when you actually want to do the opposite. You want to trigger the sympathetic side. So if you feel anxious and you feel up and you feel like you need to calm down, that's when like the breathing, the meditation the mindfulness is going to work again, burning off some of that cortisol and adrenaline can be helpful too. But if you are staring at your computer, you're frozen, you don't know what to say, you don't know what to do, you can't make a decision. That's when you want to probably do a little workout. You want to actually get that cortisol up. You want to read something that inspires you. You want to kind of engage in that thing that's going to light a little bit of a fire so that you have more of that, it, they call it that autonomic regulation between those, those two pieces. And I, I think that much of the way we talk about stress is not helpful. And I think that's one of them is it's always about calming down when some of us have, we've passed that point and we were up for so long that now we, we need to reconnect with something that actually maybe does cause us the slightest bit of stress. I think stress needs like a a total rebrand. I think it is, um, always bad, bad, bad. You got reduce, reduce, reduce. And I think one thing women feel more stressed out by that because, um, they, already feel guilty that they're not, it's one more thing to do that they're not doing right. They're not even stressing out. Right. And they're not managing. Right. (laughs) Um, but on the other side too, remembering that, like, if you didn't, you wouldn't care, you you wouldn't be stressed if you didn't care about that thing. So like, let's look at that. How important is it? And how do you, and I have some questions that I ask people about that. Um, but I think that's a really important thing is to understand stress is just trying to keep you going and, you know, there is such a thing as too much stress for sure, but I think we have to also recognize that when something's stressing us out, it probably deserves some of our attention. Yeah. I mean, stress initially is meant to enhance your survivability, right? That's the whole point. So, and this is interesting and I haven't done enough study on this yet because I just started reading about it yesterday, but I'm doing another degree as most people that listen know. So I'm doing another degree in biobehavioral health and which is basically the study of stress. And apparently there's a whole nother system. There's the fight, flight, or freeze. And there's another. Do you know it? Well, we've got the tend and befriend. Yes. Yeah. And then why is nobody talking about the tend and befriend? Like I literally all the books that I've read, all the years (laughs) that I've been studying this, I have never heard of this before. Yeah. This is why I think women we're made for stress. Like we have that innate, I mean, unless you're in like a complete utter burnout place, right. When you're yeah. in stuck in the freeze place, but for the most part, we have like that wonderful antidote to cortisol is oxytocin. And so women have that we're meant to gather. We're meant to be in community. We're meant to take care of each other. And I think that manifests for some of us as not setting boundaries. And that's all we hear, right? You're not setting boundaries. You're not saying, you're not saying no, you're saying yes to everyone. Again, if you didn't care about these things and these people saying no would be like so easy, but it's not. And so I think you can feel overwhelmed and be in this place where this is causing more stress, or you can kind of harness that power of like, I'm the perfect person to do this. I'm going to use my tend and befriend and I'm going to, you know, it, 
sometimes you can take things off your plate, right? You're going to look at your whole daily, your life and be like, okay, these things can go. There's going to be things on there that either need to get done or they, you know, you want to get them done. They matter to you. Maybe you want to be the president of the PTA for your kid's school, or maybe you want to be, you know, the president of some group of friends, some organization, some charity. And I think women are just constantly being told, say no, say no, say no. But maybe again, like I think women are really, we're geared towards harnessing that power, that part of the stress response. We're, we're really good at that. Yeah. There, it, I was reading through it and I was just like, why is nobody talking about this? We know in, in burnout recovery, we know very clearly that community is helpful, not usually in the beginning because we've become disconnected from people. So we need to sort of work our way back into it. But we know that community is helpful in this recovery process because of the way it affects our brains. And I think that there's there's another separation that needs to be made between like like so this you care about these things so you're doing them and that's why there's stress or you care about what people will think about you because you do or do not do these things which is not necess- not the same thing as caring about the thing right caring yeah, about disappointing it. people is a is a whole separate yeah bit of it so some things you might just actually care about and some things you might care about what it makes other people think or say about you, which ultimately you cannot control anyway. So harnessing the power of tend and befriend, I think is useful, but needs to be really filtered strongly through our values, through the people that when we spend time with them, we leave feeling better. Yep. Yeah. And I think, you know, going back to those core values is is a piece of it, but I think our values can get confusing sometimes because we might have mom's values or husband's values or girlfriend's values or some, you know, magazine or celebrities values, right. That we've picked up. And so, or they may have changed. So, you know, when you have something, and I use this example all the time. So this is, this is one of the things I've had to look at in my own life. I've always felt like I am less stressed if my house is spotless, if my mm-hmm. space, and I think that's true for a lot of us, clutter doesn't make us feel great, but it was this thing that became a source of stress for me because like, I can't get anything done unless all of this is, is just so. And when I'm talking to women who are not having enough time in the day to get things done, or they can't get their workout done because there's too much on their plate, I'm telling them to take stuff off their plate without realizing what this thing means to them. So I had to really look at some of my own things. And, you know, when I was nine, my parents got divorced and my response to that was really feeling like I didn't want to look like I wasn't part of a healthy, normal family. So to me, what a healthy, normal family looked like was mom was home cooking the meals and keeping the house in order. Well, my mom worked two jobs and I had a little brother. So I took it upon myself to make sure the house was spotless. Right. And my mom did like that. So I think there was also some pleasing of her in there, but I had to really look at like, well, this is a value that I think I have, but it's not even my value and it just doesn't serve me anymore. So I think when you're up against it and it still feels like I thought I wanted to do this thing or I'm having trouble navigating what stays and what goes, you know, where did this value come from? Is it yours? Is it someone else's? And even if it is yours, do you want to keep it? Because now there's times when I'm like, it's yeah, there's maybe there's 
it's okay to keep the dishes in the sink and play with my kids because that's what I've got a half an hour, right? So what's ultimately, and I think that can go back to those core values, but I had to really look at like, where did that come from? And once I deciphered that, it's like, well, am I going to pack that around now or am I going to let that one go? Yeah, that's a part of, um, part of my book that you're burning out because you have not decided which things belong to you and which things don't, which values belong to you, which ways, which definitions of success belong to you and which don't. There's so many things that we pick up from community, from culture, from family, from that. It's, I mean, I start, when I started looking, I was like, I don't care about any of these things that I'm doing. (laughs) Not really. That's a tough day, right? Yeah, Yeah. Yes. But you stop and you're like, well, you know, this ain't it. Yeah. Right. One of There's my relief in that too, right? Yeah. She's like, well, no wonder I'm not happy. I don't like any of these things I spend my time doing. Right. Yeah. But, and then it came the, but I have to do this. My initial response to this, to be very honest was, but I have to do this because I said I was going to do this because this is the degree I paid for and people want this from me. And I know people want this from me because they pay me for it on a regular basis. So I have to do this thing. And it took me about four years to realize that I don't actually have to do this thing. Yeah. Four years, you guys, four years. (laughs) Which might be a lot less than some people. Maybe some. Yeah, Yeah. but maybe it's, yeah, it can be. And it didn't mean I didn't love doing it also on some level. I still loved my job on some level. You know, like Mm -hmm. there was, there was a lot of good parts of it. I didn't hate it. Definitely didn't hate it. It just wasn't in alignment of there. And it wasn't just the job. It was the way it's done, the kind of schedule it needs, this sort of idea, like you were mentioning earlier about being tethered to a building, right? Yeah. That, was, that was the biggest piece for me, really. Not yeah. the actual job or the way I was performing it or the amount of money I was making or the, I loved my patients, loved. Mm-hmm. But being tethered to a building. Yeah. But everybody's, when we grew up, everybody was tethered to a building. Oh, right. And I, um, again, I don't, you know, I'm not sure. It's hard to say how they felt about that, right? I think that there was. If you don't have any other option, you might not feel any way about it. Right. Um, and I think there's, you know, I still do one-on-one work, but I don't do any acupuncture anymore. But I haven't for years because yeah. I stepped away from that brick and mortar place. But sometimes I think about that too, like, well, what if I didn't have to be on social media and I could just be just with the people that are around me? And in fact, Sarah, my business partner, she stepped away from our work, her work, everything just about a year ago to do just that. She works in her gym. She went she back, she ran back to the things she ran away from. She didn't mm-hmm. want to just see people one-on-one. She wanted to reach a bigger audience. She wanted to do all of that and then realized she hated everything about that. This really public person with 150,000 likes on her Facebook page was like, I'm a private person and I don't want to share my (laughs) life and my meals and all this. And she couldn't be happier right now. Um, you know, so, uh, you know, sometimes there is value in the thing we think we didn't want to, but hopefully that comes up when you do that, when you take the time to take stock, connect with your values, um, make some conscious decisions. I think so much of we just do, cause it's like the next thing, right? You know, one thing, one decision kind of rolls into the next and pretty soon you wake up and you're like, I have this life that I don't even recognize and I don't know if I want it. Yeah, and I think it's important to know too that like 
the like you said earlier, the values will change from time to time. And mm-hmm. your ideas about what you want will change from time to time. And it's not because one of them is right or wrong. It's just because you grow and change from time to time. Like that's just a, that's the human condition. And I think yeah. this is something that's come up on the podcast quite a few times of people that were afraid to let go of things because they worked so hard for them. You know, and one of my podcast guests, Sarah said, um, you know, the only waste is holding on to something that you should no longer be carrying, the waste of the yeah. energy that you have, holding on to that thing that you don't need to carry, which doesn't mean that you're never going to go back and pick that thing up, right? So mm-hmm. my acupuncture office is now closed, and I keep getting asked if I'm giving it up forever. Well, I don't know. Yeah, I'm not going to let my license lapse if that's your question. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like I'm keeping my license. It's I don't I don't know what I'm going to want to be doing in five years. I don't know the answer to that question. And I used to think that I did know the answer to that question because I spent so much time and money getting educated to do a specific thing. So I thought I had to stay with that thing because that's yeah. what my education was. Right. Right. But no, (laughs) turns out, turns out, no. Oh my God. Is it already? Whoa. Did you look at the time? I did. This is what happens when you and I talk. I know that happens last time too. (laughs) Wild. Um, So I guess this leaves us with parting notes for our guests. Well, I think we, we hit home the point of the core values. Cause I think that um, again, knowing life is, there are going to be some things you can get rid of, right? But I think until somehow we all have infinite financial resources, infinite time, everyone we love and care about is healthy and happy. And there's more hours in the day. And we move to some beautiful island with perfect weather where there's someone taking care of us. Life's going to be stressful, right? So we have to get better about handling the stresses that matter to us. If it doesn't matter, you know, you got to take some time to figure out what matters and what doesn't. And you can take some stuff off your plate. Fine. Someone else, hire it out, give it away, stop doing it. Um, There's going to be some of those things, but then there's going to be what's left. So maybe you're up for a promotion. Maybe you have a two-year-old, maybe, you know, you're saving to buy a house. There's all these things. Maybe you're writing a book that are like, this isn't going away in the immediate future. And it matters to me. So how am I going to survive it? And how am I going to get better at handling it? And so much of that comes down to mindset on one hand and then what can I do to like keep my health in a good spot so that I have you know am I sleeping am I hydrating am I eating foods that work for me am I getting some exercise but not too much am I doing the things that matter not overdoing the things that don't matter as much when it comes to health and wellness because right now there's just hop on Instagram and you're gonna have 20 different people telling you 100 different things you should be doing right now um so do the things that matter the most for you that keep you in a place where you can handle and be better at the stresses that you're going to keep. Because, you know, again, there's going to be things that really matter to you that might seem stressful. And I don't think the answer is to, you know, we don't grow without stress, right? Like we no. just don't, our, our, look at what a robust stress system we have. And I mean, it's meant to, to handle some of that stuff. And I think there's that sweet spot where you're living on the edge of feeling like I have a little bit of things that challenge and push me that help me feel like I'm growing and developing and being more of who I am, but not so much that I can't handle it. And that's a, it's a delicate edge to walk. And I think that I don't know if I'll ever be in a place where I don't fall off one side or the other, but you I just fell know off you last get week. back on. Yeah. <laughs> 
yeah I think that's another huge mistake is like especially as as like the experts and the people out there it's like well we're supposed to have it all perfect and I think we just get better and better at recognizing the signs earlier hopping back on and hopefully in our journey we gather more tools that we can then share cheers to that and I, I think the biggest part of recovery for me has been something that you said in the beginning you know you read that comment and you said this really was my biggest fear but I say worse things to myself all the yeah. time right my biggest piece of burnout recovery that helps keep me feeling safe from actually going into burnout even when I notice that I've fallen off a cliff is I'm not that mean to myself anymore yeah I'm much kinder to myself about it I took too many classes this semester I just took too many classes so I have literally too many things to do so there are a lot of things falling off my plate right now they're just things are falling off the plate I'm not even taking them off they're falling (laughs) off and if I kept this up for the next two years, I would burn out again. But I'm just watching myself and I'm like, oh, that was silly. This is, you. I made the decision for financial reasons, yep. right? I'm doing this degree at Penn State. And if you pay for your full semester of classes, any classes you take above a full semester are free. So I was like, I'm going to save some money. <laughs> take some extra classes. <laughs> take some extra classes, save some money. Meanwhile, that means I'm doing above a full-time course schedule while running a full-time business like what that doesn't make any sense yeah right but I but I'm watching myself and I'm thinking oh you didn't I didn't make that decision based in my values I made that decision based in my fears (laughs) that I have left over from growing up in a place where I had to save money everywhere that I could And I'm still afraid that I have to do that, even though life has shown me over and over again that that's not the case for me anymore. I don't, I have a hard time believing that. And so I still fell into that, like, oh, I'm going to save myself. I'm going to save myself a semester of school and about $8,000. No, I'm not. I'm still going to end up doing that because now I have to slow down because I went too fast. Yeah. But I'm not a jerk to myself about it. And I'm not worried about it continuing because I know that I can stop it. I think this is the biggest change for me that you can, you're still going to fall off the cliff sometimes. Yeah. You're human. Just don't be. And life's going to keep happening. I mean, who would have thought we'd be in a pandemic, right? Like, right? I mean, who really knows what's going to happen? Yeah. And so having um, one of the, not those tangible tools in Hangry, we have these five pillars, these sort of perspectives to live from. And one of them is being your best friend. Yeah. And that's that whole, like you said, that internal conversation, which it wasn't like, what the hell's wrong with me that I did this? It's like, oh, okay, that was a really familiar thing. Yeah. Seemed like a good idea at the time. Yeah. I'm not going to call myself a loser and a slacker if I have to slow down. I'm not going to say, what the hell is right. wrong with you? I'm not going to do all that stuff. I'm just going to notice what happened and take care of myself. And, you know, that's, that's that constant, almost like the angel and the devil in your head, yeah. right? Like which voice am I going to listen to that critical voice or the best friend voice? And yeah. those little perspectives, I think help <clears throat> too, as you go through this, what is a stressful situation, right? Cause yeah. life, I just think that it's this idea that we're just going to manage it away all the time just leaves most of us feeling like, well, now I'm failing at that too. Yeah. <laughs> I'm failing at my stress management too. So takeaway message from the very end don't be an asshole to yourself, please. Yeah, that solves a lot of problems. That solves a lot of problems. 
All right, Fried fans, I hope you enjoyed this as much as we did. I just had such a blast talking to you, Dr. Brooke. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Yes, thank you for having me. And Fried fans, don't be an asshole to yourself. You deserve all the goodness that is coming your way. Until next time. Ain't gonna burn ourselves out no more Ain't gonna burn ourselves out no more Got each other on our side Plus all the folks at Fried the Burnout Podcast With Kate Donovan